welcome to the Fearless Women's Podcast, where Dr. Madeline Turner aims to motivate women who are stuck in their lives to shift their mindset and change their behaviors so they can regain their power and achieve the life they truly desire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Madeline Turner. Welcome back, ladies. Today's guest is Molly Burney, and she has worked in the addiction recovery field since 2009. She does specialize in eating disorder recovery, and she is going to share our story on why she specializes in that and what she is up to, and kind of she's going to talk about how she had to reconnect to her femininity and what that meant and how to redefine that and how to reconnect to it, which I'm pretty excited to share with you guys. So here we go. All right. Hi, ladies. Welcome back. Today, I'm with Molly Burney, and she has worked in um, addiction recovery for eating disorders, and she had reached out to me, and I'm super excited for her to share her story with you guys and what she's up to. So I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit more to you first. So hi. Hi. How are you doing? Good. Um, So yeah, yeah, it's it's really fantastic to be a part of this. I really love your mission. I think it's uh, it's really inspiring, and I'm um, yeah, just thrilled to participate. Awesome. So tell us a little bit more about your um, about you. What you what what's your background in? Sure. Um, so I'm uh, I, I'm an addiction specialist, uh, specifically with eating disorders, and um, what I do now is clinical coaching. So my background is as a therapist, but I like uh, I, I like getting out of the box a little bit. I like working in a, um, outside of that 50 minute session. I like being really directive in my approaches. I think, um, I think therapy is phenomenal and, uh, I think it works really well hand in hand with a, um, a more directive and action oriented approach. So that's, yeah, that's what I, that's what I do now. I primarily for eating disorders. I love working with binge eating and bulimia, especially, um, that really speaks to my own <laughs> personal thought process and my own experience while I'm in recovery from um, some really ass-kicking bulimia years and years ago. Um, and so that, uh, that's a population that I have a, a really soft spot for. Oh, good. Awesome. Well, I'm excited for you to talk more about that today because I know on some sort of scale, a lot of women struggle with eating disorders and um, just acceptance of like their own body and self-love. And I just... Yeah, and I think even if it's not eating disorders, Mm -hmm. it's often just disordered eating, um, which is, even if it's not diagnosable, it can still hold us hostage. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Awesome. So um, part of the show is asking you to dive into a time that you were really struggling and kind of what that looked like for you and what gave you that courage or what shifted in you to start moving you past that. So would you mind sharing a story about that? Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I grew up in a family where I, I, I was really struggling with what it was to be a woman. Um, my father was pretty, pretty masochistic or uh, misogynistic. Oh my gosh. I said masochistic. How bizarre. <laughs> Is there a way to edit that out? That would be fantastic. Um, so my, my father was pretty um, misogynistic and it was really confusing the kind of messages that um, my sisters and my mom and I would get from him because it was uh, both enforcing roles about how women should look and behave and also mocking us for them. So, for example, we're supposed to be skinny and attractive, but um, if we are caught putting on makeup, then that's an indication that we're vain, and, and for that, we should be ashamed. So it was this constant strange balance between seek your femininity, seek to present it, but um, uh, but you might be humiliated if you're caught in the process of trying to curate yourself to fit 
that ideal, um, which was such a confusing message. Um, and I, so I, eating disorders come from all sorts of places, and that's a pretty reductive explanation of um, uh, of my household growing up. But suffice to say, it was a, a perfect storm that led to me trying to manage my my body and my weight and my presentation with food, and ultimately binging and purging. Mm. So that that obviously got out of control for years and. You know, the, the story that I, I really want to talk about is not so much about the eating disorder recovery, but about the work that happened once I got into recovery. Okay. So when I, when I, and I got to the point of, um, you know, the, the bulimia got so out of control. I was, oh gosh, I was, I think, 21 at the time. Um, and I'd struggled with it for about seven or eight years. I was absolutely on my knees. Um, and I, I had a little bit of uh, a therapy. I'd done some outpatient stuff and I'm not really sure that I wanted to commit to this process of um, surrendering this, this behavior that had helped to manage my, both my, like my, my body and my mind and my relationships. And it, it just was this, this resource that helped me manage all of this. Um, finally, finally, uh, I, I decided I was going to go into, um, into treatment. And one of the things I began to experience in treatment is this understanding of uh, that I can't change the cards that I'm, that I'm dealt, mm-hmm. I, but I can learn to play really well with the hand that I have. Right. And one of the cards, uh, or, or you know, one of the cards that I was hoping to have been dealt, but I didn't get dealt with that waist-like figure body. Um, and granted, I, I grew up before the Kardashians were cool and before curves were considered something you could celebrate. Um, so I, I was trying to fit myself into a mold that did not you know, it did not have any interest in having me fit in it because that was not my body's natural set weight. So in in trying desperately to having fit myself in this mold, I, I, I tried to pivot a little bit and saying, okay, so if I have this, if I don't have that that waist card, I have a naturally athletic body. How am I gonna how am I gonna own this? How am I gonna transform this into something that I'm comfortable with? Great. How do I play this card really well? And in recovery, then, when I was no longer trying to fit into this waist-like body, I decided, all right, if I have, if I have the potential for this, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with strong. I'm going to play the strong card. Mm-hmm. And that became this really interesting adventure. Um, I started taking up boxing. I started lifting. I started then competing with boxing. Um, and it was a really intense and rigorous training schedule. And I, I just went all in. Um, and it was, it was a totally different experience to reclaim my body, to start taking up a little bit more space as I had put on muscle, um, to start seeing curves, not just womanly curves, but the, the curves of, of muscle as it became more defined. And uh, it, it changed the way I walked in the world. It changed also my relationship to, um, gosh, my, my relationship to being in the world and feeling much more confident in the world. I felt like in the gym, there was this, I, I got to connect with this acceptable version, um, this acceptable expression of femininity that wasn't girly or weak or vain in a way that, uh, it, it was vain in a way that required work and effort and drive and focus, things that, that I decided were more valuable. And granted, that doesn't mean they were more valuable. That just means that the part of me that was, um, uh, that was still stuck in the pathology that had developed from such a, a misogynistic household was still running the show. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if I, 
but that's, uh, I finally enjoyed my body at the gym in a way that I hadn't in years. It was this portal into this, this one expression of my femininity where I could enjoy my body for what it was doing. Um, and in that way, it was, it was really corrective for eating disorder uh, recovery. It was really a, a, a totally different experience of anything I'd allowed myself to do. And it helped heal a lot of my relationship with my body. Um, but it was also a rejection of other stuff. It, in, in a way, this, the femininity that I was, I was running away from was, was like a, a club that I couldn't join. And I had stood in judgment of it for so long because I believed it was unattainable. That, that thin waist white body was not what I was naturally designed to have. Mm-hmm. And I think I didn't realize what going all in on strong robbed me of. Um, because ultimately what it did was it held me hostage by this new identity of strength and athleticism. And I couldn't appreciate femininity in other forms because it was just too threatening for me. There were expressions of femininity I decided I didn't have access to. So I, I just got so in this box of competition and strength and intensity, which in a way was working for me for a period of time until I decided, hey, I, I think my husband and I are going to have kids. Right. And that had to change everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're we're still in the process of of trying, but um, you know, this is this is now, gosh, thirteen years in recovery from bulimia, and I'd had this uh, like living with that um, with the, the boxing mentality and the training mentality was what I was completely organized around and focused around. It kept me sane. It kept me focused. And suddenly, I learned <laughs> that. Uh, I had gone off the pill to try and get uh, pregnant and suddenly had no period, which is typically something we see of, uh, of people who are struggling with um, anorexia. That's amenorrhea is, is often common if someone's restricting that much. I wasn't restricting, but I was working out to a point where my, my body and brain were, were getting the signal that I was in distress constantly, which technically I, I was. I was getting punched in the face on a pretty regular uh, regular schedule there. Right. So I get where my body would get that signal. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I, I then had to uh, take some real direction from, from my doctors and my acupuncturist saying, hey, stop everything. Yeah. Stop everything, which was horrifying because not only was that a, just a practical coping mechanism, but that was an identity. Right. If I'm, if I'm not fighting, if I'm not training, well, then I, I can't, I'm not playing my strong card. I'm not, I'm not being this version, this one version of femininity that I thought I'd been able to figure out this, mm-hmm. this strength and intensity. And then, then what am I going to do? And then I really had to face the, my ideas of, of femininity that, um, that I thought weren't for me. I was I, in my brain was like, I'm not going to be one of those yoga girls. What, what did I think one of those yoga girls meant? Like, what did I actually think I was, I was writing off there? Uh, and it really was just that it was some version of femininity that I thought I couldn't beat. That's really what I had fought against for so long. Um, and, you know, frankly, the version of femininity that my dad wouldn't make fun of. You know, I was still operating in a way from like a, a 13-year-old girl's perspective of not wanting to make herself a target, mm-hmm. not wanting to put myself at risk for trying to be something that I was just going to fail at. Mm-hmm. So this this whole year has been the most humbling adventure into my own 
mm, my own expression of, of what it is to be a woman. Do I have to be strong to be my version of a woman? Do I have to be thin to be my version of a woman? Um, and, and really, it, it's been quite a long process of not using the coping skills of working out, not using the coping skills of, uh, of that degree of intensity. And then you know, basic things like, well, what do I wear if I'm not wearing workout gear? And that, I know that sounds silly, but, but like that, that's a huge part of, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So meaning I have to put on real bras again and, and like all the body image stuff only that that brings up to. and granted, <laughs> say it again. Is it only if you want to? <laughs> <laughs> Damn straight. Only if I want to. Um, but you know, because this is, I'm so clear that this is the next frontier of, of my emotional recovery is yeah. figuring out how do I be okay with that? You know, how do, how do I adventure into that? How do I deal with the feelings that come up with having to see my, my curves even more expressed in, for example, a regular bra rather than the three sports bras that I'm used to? Um, and how does that change how I present myself, how I carry myself in the world? Um, something as simple as if I'm in my three sports bras and I'm walking down the street and my, my shoulders back and my chest is up and I can be proud and take up space. But as soon as I'm in a regular bra, I have curves and I'm a little bit more exposed do I still want to walk with that kind of pride and how do I do that now th- those were a lot of the questions that I ended up having to um to face in this process um and I'll tell you I, I it, it's been <laughs> it's been one hell of a journey but um you know long story short my hormones are rebalanced and we're still in the process of uh um, of trying I got my period back all that jazz oh, but it's um, so great yeah yeah um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's the gist of, of the arc is really this transformation of understanding what, what is my femininity about and yeah. who am I with it? Who am I without it? I think that's so huge is we don't really talk about those things too much about those ideas that we do, or I guess maybe like actions and things that we do use as coping mechanisms or to identify ourselves as, and when some of those start to shift or change, how does that affect us and where do we move forward? And I recently had some of that problem yeah. in my life too where like things I did use to identify me, I was ready to kind of let go of and move on. And it can be so mm-hmm. hard, even though you know, it's the right choice, but you've absolutely for so yeah. long. You're like, but what now? <laughs> yeah. These are, these are things we've or used to orient and tether ourselves. Uh, and they, this is context, you know, context for us to be able to push against and go, okay, here's, here's who I am in relation to this. But without that as a, without those things as a touchstone, it can be really scary. The illusion is of, of uh, being groundless when in fact we're, we're really groundless all the time, right? Like there, there actually is no, no sense of that. Um, identity is, is just a, a construct that we claim to make ourselves feel comfortable. But, but man, that comfort or lack thereof is very real, very powerful. Right. Yeah. So what are some new things that you have started to implement as you have had to walk away from exercise for right now? I'm a yoga girl now. Okay. <laughs> I am. And I say that with like with mock teasing because I, I actually love it. I go just about every day and, um, and man, just allowing myself to be, and you know, these, these classes tend to be mostly women, allowing myself to be one of many women where I don't feel that I have to be the strongest or have anything to prove. And this is not a competitive sport. and It's not a contact sport. Um, allowing myself to breathe and take up 
space without judging. Is it muscle that's taking up more space? Is it fat? Is it bone? Is it hair? Is it uh, that kind of noise? Just when I, as an, as an extension of me, I have permission to take up space. It doesn't matter how much of me or what, or all of that noise. Mm -hmm. Um, That's certainly one thing. Second of all, it's been just allowing my, my food to be a little bit um, less uh, rigorous, I suppose. I mean, I, I, even on, even when I was training pretty heavily, I would still house a bag of kettle corn every other night. It's not, you know, it's not like there was a serious restriction going on here, but certainly less stress around um, eating clean or or eating for performance and and more just eating what does my body want. And I find it wants a lot more healthy fat than I was comfortable with prior Mm -hmm. Um, and getting to see that then reflected on my body and talking about that in therapy and hearing, uh, hearing my clients share their own experience and allowing that to bolster me indirectly, which they don't realize how, um, how powerful that can be. It's, uh, it's been really phenomenal. That's awesome. So for ladies listening, um, if what are maybe like some just easy ways they can start to, if they're feeling disconnected from their feminine side and their femininity or not really sure what that means, do you Mm -hmm. have suggestions for like easy things they can start to do to start to reconnect to that? Sure. You know, I I found that watching other women that I admired um, was really one of the great portals into that conversation um, that my instinct, and this is a, a lot from just having grown up in the household I grew up in, my instinct was to be threatened by other women. Mm-hmm. But that robbed me of the opportunity to be inspired by them. If right. I was so busy being competition, I, I couldn't appreciate what I could gain from them, what I, or the, the possibility of being inspired. So what I find now is that if I, if I have that instinct, for me, it shows up as... Um, it could be like a quick spark of jealousy that I, I have to get really curious about that really fast and go, oh, hold on, hold on. Could I just be curious and, and uh, um, oh, I'm, I'm losing my language. What was the word I was looking for? Um, oh, I'm just going to use the same, uh, <laughs> the same language over and over. Could I, could, I, could I use that to be inspired instead? Could I, um, am I liking something that she's, presenting about herself is it is that a confidence is that a coyness is that a um an expression of sexuality what is what is that that i think i'm being threatened by when actually all that's going on is i'm thinking i want some of that and how do we call how do i cultivate that for myself um so really just starting starting to use my reactions to other women as um as information about what i value in uh in other women um, and, and also just, uh, just starting to, to talk about it more, to go public with it. We think so often that if we're, um, if we're, if we're talking about this stuff, that it's going to be humiliating or, um, or that it's going to make it even more true. And what I find is, no, if I'm, if I'm talking about my process with uh, venturing into femininity more, mm-hmm. it gives a lot of other people room to do exactly the same thing. And that ends up being more helpful in the long run for all of us. Absolutely. I agree so much. I find the more I talk about it, like the more others want to talk about it, which is great. I like went, honestly, it's so funny. I went to a different gym this morning and I was talking to them about some like postpartum care things for like patients that I work with. And, you know, I was like, you know, when your women tell you that they are peeing, maybe when they're jumping rope or on a box and like it was a male coach, that doesn't matter, but he was like, Mm -hmm. No, they're not doing that. And I was like, 
I promise you, I'm just not talking, <laughs> I'm not talking about it. And because Absolutely. I see it in my gym, I see it with my patients, you know, I've been there, all those things, but it's so powerful to have that connection. Even if you have to be the brave one to start talking about it and stepping up because it allows other oh, totally. to then be like, I'm not the only one and we can talk about these things. So, oh yeah. And anything that's going to reduce shame. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be, uh, uh, I'm happy to sacrifice myself in the interest of reduction of shame for all human beings really. But, um, but yeah, we as women hold Hold it, um, especially close. That's you're right. You're right. That's funny. Well, thank. I'm so glad that you are comfortable stepping out and sharing your story and talking about those things because it is so important. Oh yeah, it's my pleasure. It, it's one of the reasons that I love working in the field that I do. I think um, eating disorders have so much secrecy and so much shame about it, and I, I like talking about. Um, I like talking about my recovery because I, I think there's also secrecy about what eating disorder recovery is. There's the illusion that it looks like perfection and God, that's certainly not been my experience. My, I mean, I'm, I'm in recovery certainly for 13 years at this point, but all that means is that I haven't thrown up my food. Right. Um, you know, I still make bizarre choices with exercise or I'll eat a little too much or I'll eat a little too little or um, it, it by no means is this any perfect standard of, of recovery and you know my body image stuff is clearly still like evolving and a work in progress so um i think it's really important for people who are in recovery both professionals and non-professionals but especially for professionals mm-hmm. um to be clear about uh, about what this looks like and and how um how inconsistent and imperfect and completely okay that is yeah i agree for sure it's how we make changes too sorry <laughs> say it again and so that's how we're making changes too, by having those discussions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah, doing a podcast like this is a huge part of it. Absolutely. Yep. Somebody who needs to hear that message will be listening. So for your <laughs> yeah, straight. counseling that you do, are you, do you do um, distant clients? Do you only do local how does that work? Yeah, no, I, I have uh, I have clients that are all over the U.S. Only a couple of international clients, and then I do have those that are in Los Angeles that I uh, that I work with face to face, and usually those are um, longer contracts that we work really in depth. I like to get really involved with uh, with the clients that I'm working with face to face, and the other ones that I do hourly. It's a it's a kind of different a different design um, mm-hmm. that it's it's less on call. Okay, uh, but yeah, I, I work uh, work with everyone. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Let me ask just some like fun questions and then we'll finish up with whatever else you want to, if there's anything else you want to share for what, for you, are you somebody who likes to read books or listen to podcasts for like self-development, like motivation? Oh, I mean, I, I, okay. My ego wants to tell you that I read books, but I I don't, (laughs) (laughs) I I, I will for fun, but, but honestly, I'm, um, I'm, I'm the girl who's going to pick up Dan Brown and, and put it in a paper bag, paper bag so nobody sees that that's what I'm buying. Um, but no, truthfully, I, I, uh, I end up listening to a lot of podcasts because I, I like, I like if I'm, I like to walk and listen. I like mm-hmm. to be in the world and being able to absorb the stuff at the same time. Yeah. I, I feel you. What is one of your favorite podcasts that you would recommend? Ah, see, now I want to go scroll through my feed. Um, I, think I think my favorite uh, I love I love stay tuned with Preet I think he's he's so sharp and uh and just really really uh makes the the whole 
everything that's going on in the political world, something I can actually uh, metabolize and, and understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how accessible he makes that stuff. And then stuff like um, the cut on Tuesdays or reply all, uh, which I could geek out on forever. Perfect. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best advice somebody's ever given you? Oh man. Uh, well, two things come to mind. First is a, a sponsor very early on in recovery. I was, um, I was a member of Overeaters Anonymous for years, which I, I think is a phenomenal program. And my sponsor told me, uh, just, just, this is just food, uh, food advice here. She said, once it's in you, it's none of your business. And I loved that. I love that. Uh, she was telling me like, don't, don't bother doing anything with it, whether it's purging or obsessing, neither is helpful. It's none of your business. Knock it off. And I loved that. Yeah. Um, and the other one is that, um, my mom, who has been sober for 30-something years, uh, would tell me when I was little, if you stay on the train, the scenery changes. And it was this, like, hold on, baby girl, just sit tight. This is, this is going to shift. Meaning you just keep plugging along and you will see the results. You keep going. The stuff's going to change. Uh, oh, and I love that. I love that. I have never heard that. Yeah. Yeah, I may or may not have it tattooed on me. Oh, no, huh? I'm going to go with you, Joe. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah, so well, sweet. It made an impact, yeah. Well, do you have anything else you want to share with the listeners? Gosh, you know, nothing, nothing specific comes to mind other than, my God, if you were struggling, reach out, whether it's to me or to anyone, that there's, there's absolutely no need to, to go through this in silence, whether it's um, a, a, really anything you're needing support with therapeutically, find someone to speak to about it, find an outlet, find a touchstone, um, that there's just way too much silence about the stuff that's going on in our heads at all times. And we, we constantly think that we are, we are the black sheep and that's not so, that's so often not so that we are, we're all really suffering in a lot of the same ways. And so the more we can be public about that, the less suffering there can be long-term. Absolutely. I think that is so true. So if you are struggling out there, please reach out to somebody that can help you. And if you want that um, to be Molly, you just have to reach out to her. Her information will be in the show notes. Oh. <laughs> so you'll be able to find her. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today and being brave and sharing your story. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for letting me be so verbose. I know I, I can kind of go on for a bit, so I appreciate oh, it. Oh, you did awesome. I think it comes from a great place too. And you gave, I think, a lot of great information for those other women out there who are struggling. So I appreciate it so thank much. Thank you. I just want to thank Molly so much for being on the show and sharing her knowledge and her wisdom and her truth with us. And if that is something that you connected with listening to this or somebody you know who needs to hear this information, please feel free to reach out to her. Her information is down in the show notes and please share this episode. I know from personal experience that a lot of people struggle with this as we had discussed whether they are defined as having an eating disorder or not. Alrighty, so go out and share that information. If you're looking for a group to connect with with other women, I have a f- free Facebook community, the Fearless Women's Community. Hop on there, ask to be added. I'll get you in there and start connecting with ladies from all over. And if you're enjoying the show, please give it a five-star review and a rating and share with others. Until next time, ladies, go be fearless. This episode of the Fearless Women's Podcast has ended. If you love these messages, please share and give the podcast a five-star review. Until next time, you can find Dr. Madeline on Facebook and Instagram as the Fearless Women's Mentor.